Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens Podcast. And I'm here with my co-host, Joe Pirates. Hi, Joe. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing? Good. I'm super excited. We have Daniel Tibbetts with us right now. Daniel Tibbetts is our guest. And Daniel, I've known forever. I don't know, Daniel, how long we've gone back. But just to kind of give him some justice here, Daniel is a former president of LRA Networks. He's executive producer. Daniel started out with Fox. No, before Fox, Daniel. Oh, way before Fox. We way built Fox. we built Rome in a day, <laughs> launched Moby Sales, went to a startup, went to Buna Murray to build, went to Machinima to build before Warner Brothers bought him. Then you went to El Rey. So our big joke on the AEG in between projects. I always joke that you built Rome in a day because through your entire Christmas, I've known you, you've stepped into these big companies and you have literally like from the ground up built these divisions and these departments, extraordinary job that you have done. And because of all of that, you've also been our mobile ambassador a few times for the Media Excellence Awards as well. And a presenter, I think. I got the years mixed up because you've been around with us for 13 years of MEAs and Joe's been the voice of God. But I just feel like there's so much history here. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. It's been a nice career. I would say in each one of those, the reason people hire me is because I'm either there to build something or to fix something. That's pretty much my expertise. (laughs) So I just, you know, only because I always joke around that Daniel Tibbs built Rome in the day. Let's like kind of backtrack so people don't think you've actually aged gracefully in the past <laughs> few hundred thousand years. Yeah, yeah a couple thousand years. <laughs> but I like, was yeah, there when Rome started. <laughs> I that's knew how Julius we built Caesar. the show. <laughs> that's how <laughs> you built the show. You you got it from personal reference. That's right. It was a first person narrative. <laughs> But I'm like, you've done so much production. I mean, like, let's chat about some of the stuff. I mean, some of the stuff you've done, you've won awards for as well. So I want to kind of give everybody a little bit of feedback of your producing experience, because you are responsible for Rome on HBO, kind of. And you are responsible for bringing the Moby Sims. More more than kind of. More than kind of. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell that story. So a couple of things there. One is, as a producer, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, how'd you start? Right. How did you end up? producing and developing, I mean, literally thousands of episodes of TV and more digital content than I can can imagine. And, and really, it started with an internship. I got a KPNX Channel 12 in Arizona. Oh. And the reason that's important and I talk about it so much is because I tell young people all the time when I talk at colleges or even my own kids, the importance of an internship to get in the door to experience, you know, what you're thinking about doing for the rest of your life is important. You may go in there and say, wow, this isn't for me. Or you may go in there and say, this is truly my passion. And I was very fortunate that I got to go into KPNX, experience different areas of a local station, which enabled me to, you know, hang out with the camera people, hang out with the editors, hang out with the producers and the writers, and just listen and learn and, you know, do anything I could to be a value. And that's really what set the core kind of beginning the stage of me wanting to create, right? At the end of the day, I said earlier, people hire me to build things. And the truth is, I get hired because I love making things. 
There's nothing I love more, whether it's building a company or building a show or building a programming strategy, whatever that is, I just love creating. And so that's really what my career has been about is trying to find unique ways to create and find unique platforms to enable me to create. So I don't want to like digress here. I always thought, wait, KPNX isn't the country station. Only because it's funny because (laughs) I forgot to tell Joe that you went to ASU and Joe's. Yes. So we're all like kind of Arizonians here even though we're scattered out across this podcast. Wait, so your first intern was at KPNX. Like my first intern after ASU was at a huge advertising agency, just pulling tear sheets in the basement and advertising media. Joe, what was your, did you have an internship? Oh yeah, two years at uh, K-Gun down in Tucson. And uh, yeah, I basically worked sports. I'm, I'm a sports geek and I did everything. And in fact, I got hired from my internship there, believe it or not. That's incredible. Yeah, I picked up the camera when I was there about the first week and just learned how to run the camera, learned how to write script, learned how to edit. I mean, that two years was invaluable for me getting into the business. Yeah, there was a real kind of jumping off point. You know, everybody was great, right? They were willing to help me. And there was a guy named Graham Newell who would let me go out onto shoots with them. And then there was a director that they hired named Joe Rasulo. And, you know, it, it was one of those where I could have had a just kind of a typical internship, you know, cutting out articles and pasting things, like not doing, you know, stapling and filing. Oh, like but I what did. happened <laughs> what happened is is Joe got shorted a PA. And he was so angry. He was so upset that he had to produce these PSAs for the station. And they just finished a meeting and his budget got cut and he had no PA. So, and I tell this story all the time and I'm still friends with Joe. Joe walks out of this meeting and, you know, I'm just a kid sitting at a table, literally cutting out articles. And he looks at me, he goes, you, what do you do? And I said, uh, well, I'm an intern and I'm cutting out articles. And he goes, no, you're with me. And he literally just started walking out the door. I got up and I followed him. And for the rest of the internship, I was his PA. It it was, you know, through the development process, through the production process, through the editing process, to the delivery, I was at his hip. And, you know, like you, Joe, you just learn. You learn so much. That becomes then kind of your reputation, right? That, oh, okay, you listen, you learned, you did the job. And then Joe and other people would then hire me for the next thing and the next thing Mm -hmm. and the next thing. And and that's the secret. So how do you get into the business? It's really, you know, get your foot in the door and listen, learn, be invaluable, and then just keep moving forward. So let's fast forward forward to Rome. <laughs> Sarah really wants the Rome story. Yeah. I just because because like your whole career started when you were at HBO packaging Rome. And then that put you into well, that actually moved you to the, like, I always feel like a one door opens, another closes, there are stepping stones, which put you at GoTV into my world as our client, when we do all the PR, and then the stories and the growth from there. Because you look at when we met, what, 10, 12 years ago to age all of us, it was 12, yeah. 13. Yeah, I was still for 10 or 12. Somewhere around there. But then think about we, it. We were 20. Yeah, we're in twenties. We like I've seen you grow to take on these positions from executive producer to president. Like, and you were there when we created the MEAs. So, like, yeah. I kind of sucked you in. Like, hey, I got this awards. Let's do an event for startups. Now we're in our thirteenth year. Same thing when I sucked all you guys into the board for MEAs. We sucked Joe in as voice of God four or five years ago, and then it's kind of like the mafia. Once you 
enter the family, you never get That's out. Right. <laughs> so now we are on the That's podcast. what we always say, you know, know. about Sarah. You know, I tried to get out, but she dragged me back in. <laughs> and, then, and then I dragged Joe in as my co-host for our podcast. Yeah. So like just seeing the growth trajectory of like people who are doing such great things in the industry to make a difference. You're one of those very few guys we've actually seen grow and evolve and innovate to such extremes. So I kind of want to talk about some of these things you've done along the way. Well, Rome's a good story in that it's in, in all of these steps. So if you think about when I went into scripted, right? So I'm going to back up a little bit. When I ended up in LA, I ended up working for a small syndication company that then got bought by CBS Enterprises. And we became the seven divisions of CBS Enterprises. And I was a manager of development. So I got to work around daytime syndication product. So I worked with Bob Vila, Martha Stewart, and we then branched into scripted. And if you remember in the 90s, these shows like Xena, Hercules, Baywatch, mm-hmm. they were really popular and they were making a lot of money. Well, at CBS Enterprises, we developed and produced a show with Dan Aykroyd called uh, Sci Factor, Chronicles of the Paranormal. And then we produced a show called uh, Pensacola, Wings of Gold with James Brolin. And actually, uh, Bill Blinn, who actually just recently passed away this weekend, was the original showrunner who created and developed that show with us. And when I was developing those shows, I loved working with Bob Vila. I loved working with Martha. I loved those non-scripted syndicated shows. But I suddenly found myself in this scripted world of working with writers and actors and big production budgets and sets. And I just simply had a vision. I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to move from syndication and non-scripted to scripted. And I had found out that a company called Papazian and Hirsch, it was Bob Papazian and Jim Hirsch, very well-known TV movie producers and series producers. They were doing a show called Nash Bridges with Don Johnson, and they needed a vice president of development. And I interviewed and I got hired. So that job was specifically about developing TV movies and developing scripted series for the networks. Here's how Rome came about. This is this is what happened. <laughs> so in our studio, we actually had a, a huge studio where a lot of shows were being done. John Ratzenberger from Cheers. If you guys remember John mm-hmm. Ratzenberger, he was officed with us and he and I had a great relationship. I would go and see him all the time and we'd talk about all sorts of things. He introduced me to a guy named Bill McDonald, William J. McDonald. And w- Bill McDonald was a film producer. You probably know him from uh, Sliver, right? Sharon yeah. Stone, that whole thing in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those, we all do it in Hollywood. You, you go meet people, you network, you know, and this was one of those, it's an early morning breakfast at the Broadway Cafe in Santa Monica, you know, very Hollywood. And I, you know, it, and, and I admit it's a bill. I didn't want to go. But I wanted to meet Bill and I thought, who knows what could come out of this? At that time in my life, I was very much thinking about, uh, I'm a history nut. I've, I've always studied the Roman Empire, different uh, areas of American history, world history. It was just a little secret passion of mine. And I've always been kind of looking at the comparisons to why different world powers ultimately fall right? And where we are as an American society, right? And I think we deal with this a lot right now, even in our political and social society today, we have to ask ourselves, what's holding our democracy together, right? What's what's driving that? And so at that time, I used to talk a lot about the comparisons of how the Roman Empire fell and similarities to our own society and where that ultimately leads. Because we we, we all know all, all world powers eventually fall. I was at breakfast with Bill, and I'm having this conversation. And As we're talking about it, we start talking about the stories that you could tell from a different perspective of Roman history, specifically the rise and fall of Caesar, not about 
his rise and fall from his perspective, but from that of the common man. Because one of the, the connective tissues between, you know, telling a story in the Roman period and our, you know, in the connective tissue to us as humans today is how we're pulled outside of our own control, right? Politics, religion, you know, wars, things that we are not necessarily driving ultimately is, is pulling us and driving our life and affecting our lives. So we always had this perspective of we wanted to take it from the common person. Okay. And, and it became one of those conversations where I said, Hey, I've always wanted to do kind of an I Claudius. And Bill said, well, you know, they're filming this movie Gladiator in Milan. And then suddenly we said, well, what if we did I Claudius meets Gladiator? What is that? And literally at this breakfast, we then said, well, gosh, uh, I could call Anthemopolis at HBO. I wasn't working at HBO. I was working at Paisen and Hirsch and we should go pitch it. And we literally at that breakfast said, okay, let's do that. So I went back to my bosses, Bob Papazian and Jim Hirsch. We talked about it. It seemed, you know, a bit of a stretch, but everybody agreed we'd go do that pitch. So Jim, myself and Bill got a meeting the next week with Anthemopolis and we told them the story. We told her the story. This is what we want to do. And we had no material. We had no tape, which is not something I think you can do today. We didn't have a showrunner or a writer attached, which is, again, not something I think you can do today. And she said, I love it. We should do this. And as she got up and walked around the front of her desk, she said, you know, if you guys get John Milius attached, I think we can green light this. Bill and I left that meeting, drove to Warner Brothers, and Bill had done a TV movie with John called The Rough Riders. So John and Bill had a good relationship. We went into John's office. I mean, that day, which is five o'clock that afternoon, walked into his office. There's John Milius, who is an icon. I mean, I was just in awe that I'm meeting John, the John Milius. And we told him the idea. We told him in 10 minutes. It was a 10-minute pitch. And he goes, I love it. I'm in. Wow. And then we were off to the races. Now, that was the beginning. What happened after that was then having to negotiate and structure a deal between Papazian and Hirsch, the company I was at, John Milius, Bill, and HBO. And that took nine months. I was point at that time, working with the lawyers and working with the different agents to make that happen. And then at some point in there, I had gotten an offer to go work for Jay Firestone and Fireworks Entertainment, which was also scripted content, but it was global distribution. They were funded by Can West Global. And so I stayed attached to the project as Bruno Heller came on, who's the showrunner. So the creators, the, technically the creators are John Milius, Bill McDonald, and then Bruno Heller. And they started writing the first scripts. And the objective was to get all 10 scripts done for season one before it greenlit into production. This is from when we pitched it to when it went into production. It's about a four-year period. So in total, it was about five years from pitch to probably five and a half, almost six years to when it aired. So, so it was Rome a very, was, very long process. So Rome wasn't built in day. It was built in five years it, in Exactly. LA. That's the point. It wasn't built in a day. Okay, I just um, want to clarify but it, that. But it was a it was a wonderful experience, and and I have to say this is the one thing, and I and I tell this a lot too is, it's very rare when you develop an idea and scripts that is what ends up on screen. Usually goes through a lot of iterations, but I have to say that the first season, those first scripts that the team did, were pretty much what was on screen, except for one, there were variations, but the really only change was the original opening was 
showing Pulo as an old man, you know, 80 years old, he's a teacher and he's with a bunch of students and he, and basically commits suicide and it's, it's pushing in uh, and it's telling the story, right? In flashback. That ultimately got cut. But everything else was as we had conceived about telling the story from the common man. And actually it was John Milius who pointed out and discovered that Julius Caesar only wrote about two centurions, right, in all his, his writings. And it was the two, right, the, the individuals that we chose to focus on in the story. So, like, Joe, did you see Rome, HBO's hit series Rome? Honestly, I saw the first run of it. And after that, I, I didn't because I didn't have HBO, to be honest with you. Way back when. OK, so we'll have to catch up. So what's interesting yeah. is that at, at so- the time, at the time, it was the most expensive series in television history. Really? Wow. Yeah. And so, Daniel, tell us this, because built Rome in five years. And then we've evolved to, is it producing original content for Lucia, the Lucias? So we've gone from Lucia, Rome, Lucia Underground. Rome, we've gone from Rome to in the ring, fighting, boxing with the little funny well, masks. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the gap is in between there without getting into the specifics. It was about platform evolution. So after, after fireworks, I ended up at Fox. Okay. And With at the Fox, we're born. Exactly. At Fox's, in the Fox lab is where we developed uh, the first Mobisode. And, the, and really, it was about creating original content for mobile distribution. And, you know, and as Sarah knows, there, back in those days, you're talking about feature phones, right? You're not, you don't have your smartphones. Video players were not embedded in phones. We had to create the video player. The first video player on Sprint in 2003 was actually called the Nick Player. Nobody knows that because it was developed by a guy named Nick. <laughs> I have a picture with Nick just so I could prove it. Yeah. And you would download an app to a feature phone and that would give you video capabilities. But the video capability at that time was anywhere from 10 frames, maybe 15 frames a second. So it wasn't great, right? But there were certain things you could produce on it. And so the idea of creating original content for mobile was really because of the limitations, right? Of the capabilities of the device at the time. And... That opened up my eyes to, oh, all the different platforms that you could create content for. It doesn't need to just be television, right? It can be a mobile device. And then at Machinima, it's digital, it's social. And then El Ray is back to television, but it's understanding uh, linear and advertising support content. Because if you look at where we are today, that's really where we're heading, right? You either have SVOD, like a Netflix or an Amazon, or what I'm spending a lot of time on and thinking about is AVOD, right? Or advertisers are linear, but it's OTT, right? So it's not coming out of your carrier like a, an AT&T or a, a Comcast. It's the Roku's of the world. It's the Tubi's of the world, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's Pluto. It's, it's, fi- it's all those companies that are now giving you IP television. And the question becomes, how do you program to that? How do you create content for that? So that's the quick evolution of, from a content creator standpoint, focusing on distribution and revenue to be able to create what you want. Let me ask you this, Daniel. We just saw that this week that uh, Quibi is going to be shutting down. And that seemed like when it first started, it looked to be probably what could be a very big success focusing on anything about 10 to 11 minute uh, episodes. What went wrong? A lot of things. And I have a lot of respect for Katzenberg. I have a lot of respect for the people that put that together. Mm-hmm. I think I've been upfront with my opinion from the day it was announced because of my history and experience in creating content for mobile. It's what I said before. One of the first things that I looked at is 
when we created content for mobile and specifically short form content, we did it because of the the lack of capabilities, right? The the early technology that existed. That had evolved, right? By the time Quibi came out, that was no longer a question. The video on your phone is as good, if not better, than the video on your television. So trying to create for a specific platform, I feel we had played that out 10 years ago. Then you get into short form, right? And and again, short form, we, we all know there's lots of short form content. There's short form, there's super short form on TikTok, there's short form on YouTube. The, the idea of a runtime, 22 or 44 minutes, really only exists within kind of the broadcast linear model at this point, right? But outside of that, it, it kind of doesn't matter your runtime. I think the idea of saying, I'm going to tell a story in 10 minutes because people are going to be waiting in line, right? Or sitting on the train. Again, I feel like that had played out to where if we have Netflix and Amazon and all these other content offerings available to us, I think consumer behavior has become such that we don't care if we watch it for 10 minutes and then come back later, right? But to Mm -hmm. tell my story only in 10 minutes, only for that device is so limiting. Because then it becomes a bigger question of then what do you do with that content? right? The the premise was, well, you take all the 10 minutes and you stitch it together. Well, then what you have is a 44-minute show that's chapterized. And that it works in some stories, but not most. Yeah. Well, it's, right? not, it's not sustainable. I mean, we talk it's about, I mean, everybody's been smart about leaning on tech. And I think QB, like to your point, was going to kill it with COVID because they were really getting aggressive to get things out there, but it wasn't sustainable model for what they wanted to do. They're like those small chunks there's so many startups that just did the small chunks of content for mobile, you know, way back when mobile was first starting out. But then yeah. it was sustainable because there's no longevity. There's no consumer brand loyalty past 10 minutes. We're off on something else. Well, or or there's no ecosystem to sell it, uh, yeah. really sell it other places. So so a long time ago, when we did the first Mobisode, they were one minute in length. And, and why were they one minute? They weren't one minute because of a creative reason. They were one minute because at the time, your phone could only stream. It was like 685 kilobytes per second. And we knew based on a 3G network how long your phone was going to buffer to receive that packet of video content. And so to keep the buffering at a minimum and get some content, the most we could do was a file size that was 684 kilobytes, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that was one minute of video content compressed. That's why they were one minute. Right. That's where short form on mobile initially came from is because there was the sound, there was sound bites. It. There was a yeah, sound bite. There were sound bites. And there was nothing you could do with it. Yeah. Right. And so then with Quibi, the, the other thing I, I, I question is, okay, now I've created the, if, and by the way, as a producer, I think it's wonderful that a lot of producers were able to get funding to create what they wanted to create. And in creating the 10 minute content, the question is now is that sellable to other platforms globally? I would say short form content alone is not right now. If you stitch it together again, the question is creatively, does it work? Right. So you either have a 44 minute that you chop up and then it kind of doesn't work. Right. Cause now I'm just watching 10 minutes and it ends or I'm watching a 10 minutes with a beginning, middle and end. But now that's not going to work to a 44. The other issue with Quibi, which they know and they tried to rectify is that they were only on mobile, like when they launched. And again, the world has evolved since then. If you're not. On every device and every screen, this is something Sarah and I have talked a lot about with the MEAs, right? With the MEA starting as a mobile award and evolving to a media award, 
is because the ecosystem of digital content specifically made for those digital platforms has evolved and changed. And you have to recognize that when you create something, it can it has to exist in different forms or different formats, but it has to exist on every screen. Well, when we had mobile phones, we just had our mobile as a standalone. Because when we like when I met you, you guys hired us for the PR. You're at GoTV on the music channels, but it was all mobile was the standalone. But now over the past seven, eight years, it's a multi-platform content play, sports, music, apps, UI, anything you do, you have to have it on multiple phones. One of the best models or one of the best companies I, I'm just a huge fan of is Jukin Media. Jukin Media took short form content, right? UGC content from the web. And they figured out that they could monetize it by licensing it, right, to brands for those creators, right? And they realized that they could create compilations and then create programming. So they go from a video that's one minute to a 22 minute to filling out an entire linear schedule, right? Which is 8,730 hours of content or minutes, you know, or hours, I should say, per year. And that is one of the best examples of taking content and monetizing it across all platforms. And they have Fail Army, they have the Pet Collective. You know, they've done a really good job of monetizing content everywhere. Let me ask you, Daniel, you've got, it seems like with your career, what I've been listening to is a person that is willing to take chances on things a lot of other people won't. Do you see it as taking chances or do you recognize what's coming up ahead and trying to form yourself into that media, let's say? So it's a little bit of both. Uh, in each one of those jumps, and I'll use mobile as an example, you know, I'm a, I'm a TV executive at Fox. And, and I, I remember the day going to my boss and saying, I'm going to go create television for cell phones. And I said that in 2005. You know, and at that time, we really weren't watching TV on cell phones. So I think a lot of people looked at that and said, wow, that's really risky, right? Even I looked at it and said, wow, am I doing the right thing, right? But I had a very clear vision and belief that everybody would watch television on their cell phone someday. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to create for that. So while there was risk, because it didn't exist, really, to me, it wasn't risky because it was a path that I felt confident would benefit me long-term. Mm -hmm. And I can even say that with going to El Rey. El Rey is a basic cable network, mm -hmm. right? And, and so a lot of people, I had a career of really, you know, defined career in digital from let's say 2005 to 2016. And so to go back to linear television, a lot of people said, wow, what are you doing? Basic cable is on the decline. Mm -hmm. And my answer was, yeah, but this is about a brand. Mm -hmm. Right. And to me, every one of these steps and Sarah knows this, and I've said this many times to me, every one of these jumps is about programming to a mass niche, which means it's a very specific audience, but there's a lot of them. And anytime you can, you can program or have a programming strategy to a mass niche audience. I think that's a win machinima, right? Machinima it's gamers, but there's a lot of gamers. You can be 18. Yeah. You could be 54. You're a gamer, right? Mm -hmm. You can be. You can be African-American, you can be Asian, you can be white, you're a gamer. That's what it is, right? And that's the way I felt about the brand with El Rey. That was one. The second reason is because, well, people say linear television is dead, right? I hear that a lot. It's not. AVOD or, or you know, advertising linear is growing at a rapid rate, right? Fast TV. When you look at the, the channels that are launching for consumers who 
we all have enough subscriptions. We have our, our Netflixes and our Amazons and our Hulus, but there's a, you know, hundreds of advertising supported free channels to consumers that they are watching. I, you know, the numbers are just growing. So to understand, to have a full breadth of understanding of programming, mobile, digital, social, and linear, mm-hmm. it's extremely valuable, right? To have. And, and I now have that. And so that was a huge value to be able to go run a cable network, which I had never done. Risky, but valuable. Hey, but to Joe's point, you have taken a lot of risks. I mean, you, you look at all the content, all the genres and verticals. You look how we've all evolved in technology from 10 years ago to now. We took a big leap together at GoTV, bringing music channels and concerts and live events to the mobile phone, which is how we both ended up at, with AEG as a client at the Michael Jackson Memorial. But then we were chase, not chasing down, but we kept moving the ball forward to really create more avenues to bring music entities, 3D, digital, with um, John Rubin, AEG, into the market. So we hit our music scene. And then you jumped to Machinima, which was gaming, taking gaming to a multi-platform, now turned into esports. And then you kind of... We're on the purple of music, sports, and um, was it Lucia? Lucia, 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 Lucia Underground. Yeah, I so, saw I me. Mean, so you Mexican kind of, wrestling. There you which, go. Which is truly, I mean, I have to say, I I couldn't have imagined being a fan of wrestling, nonetheless, uh, Lucha wrestling, right? I just prior to El Rey, I, I hadn't thought about it, and going to those events and being a part of that production and the people who are in that world. It was a absolute joy. It was one of the great, just thrilling, exciting productions I had been a part of. So it's the risk. Though. So it's like, as I mean, most great leaders do taste risks. They fail. They get back up on their feet. They keep moving forward. I think that's what stands out with some of the people, at least that we've recognized for innovators and thought leaders with the MEAs and the people here in L.A., the ones that keep taking that risk, pushing the envelope, who have that vision. I think that's where the success lies, which is where your career has gone since I've met you. Yeah, I think the the risk comes in the day-to-day as well. You brought up uh, AG and John Ruby. The quick story there is I got a call at six o'clock the night before the Michael Jackson Memorial. Yeah, then you right? blew my phone up at 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and at 10 o'clock the next day, they were having the memorial. And what John Ruby asked us to do at GoTV was to program, produce, and distribute a live stream globally Across of mobile. the Michael Jackson event. And it's, it's six o'clock the night before. And my answer to him was yes. Okay. Now, I didn't know that we could. I knew, I knew we had the technology and the capability. But to do something that fast and that scale, at scale, that was risky. And But I immediately called Sarah and said, Guess what we're doing tonight? <laughs> Those twenty four seven SWAT. Literally, he's like, "You got to call this guy John Ruby. He's a president." I go, "What are you doing?" I don't know. We just said yes. It's AG. So, oh my god, we literally pulled a poly an all nighter. But I believe we had between me and Daniel and John, we got the whole Michael Jackson memorial up, running, produced it. We got it to the press globally to over a hundred million handsets globally. We literally 
I think, crashed some of the carriers because nobody yeah. expected that volume of stuff. And I think um, there was a, it was a risky, but it was a tremendous risk because honestly, thanks to Daniel, based on who you asked, him and John, we picked up ages of client because of our efforts on that. But the same risk with- And then we, went, and then we went on to do Austin City Limits and Coachella and a bunch of other music we, events. We did, like we, bon did, we, we did Bon Jovi. We did Black Eyed Peas 3D Live. And then we also did We Are The World which yeah, was that's right. just, which all the money we are the world 25 TV. and these were all live stream on mobile you know yeah. so when when you see but things they were, today they were risky though because everything super risky. was pushing the edge of technology because was so new and we took that leap but then joe just to preference the whole story here it was four o'clock on a friday in la on a weekend when daniel calls up hey this is risky, but let's go to Palm Springs because John Ruby's shooting fish and concert in 3D. And I'm like, Palm Springs is like a four hour drive out of L.A. No, no, we got this. We'll make it work. Three hours in traffic on a Friday at four. Oh, it was more than three. It was like it was, five. And we, we literally got out to fish, walked around just to talk to John Ruby. We've got this and came back. I mean, yeah, like, I think we ate. And then we came back. We, I don't think we yeah. even watched the show. But, we were like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> but it's like, it's a testament to the drive and ambition and le- strength and leadership that we've been talking about, Daniel, through COVID. Like, where's the strength and leadership? It's not just because we're in COVID, because our backs are against the wall. Like my relationship with you and AEG, we've always pushed the envelope to make things happen. We've always taken that risk. And I don't know if it's just because we're lucky or just because no, we know I, I think I think it's end. it's something in the DNA. I, I have always found that many executives, many people, they're programmed to say no, right? They're, they're programmed that when they hear something, they're going to go, well, I don't know if I can pull that off for the resources. I'm going to play it safe and I'm going to say no. You know, for good or bad, and the people that have worked with me over the years know this, I say yes. And then we figure it out and we get mm-hmm. it done. I remember one product, and I think it was uh, Hawaii, Hawaii, not Hawaii, Hawaii, the, the mobile, I can't say now, the mobile phone manufacturer when, yeah. back yeah. when they were making 3D, what is it? The Hawaii. Yes, they were making wait, 3D wait, 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 Joe, handset capabilities. Wait, Joe, you announced that they won an MEA, Joe was our voice of yeah. God. So I go back to Joe's Hawaii. voice of God. Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah, Daniel's got it right. And they were developing 3D handsets, right? Mobile phones that had 3D recording capabilities. But one of the challenges they had at the time is they didn't have the uh, Kodak figured out to transcode 3D videos, like if I shot a 3D video, to put it on the handset, right? It had to be shot on the handset directly. And so they reached out to us and they said, hey, we really need your help. We're going to send you this prototype of the phone and we need you to go shoot 3D content and figure out how to make it work. And again, I said, yes. Now, my staff looked at me and said, but we've never done that. Correct. But we're going to be the first. And I'll just always remember, and we tell this story when we get together, 48 hours before delivery, I'm standing with our head of content, Gabriella, and uh, talking to our head of technology, Jack. And Jack comes up and he's got a big smile on his face and he goes, we did it. And he shows it to me. And I just remember the relief and how proud I was of not only the team, but our ability to invent, just invent, you know, just take the risk, see if we can pull it off. Because if we can pull it off, like the live streams, like what we did with dynamic ad insertion on early mobile devices in 2007, nobody had done that. You know, no one had done the live streams until we did. No one had figured out the Kodak for a 3D handset. We did. And we were a small little team that were just really adamant that we could invent anything. 
we could figure it out. And that's always been my philosophy is let's figure it out. Yeah, That's so funny because John, we would always tell me when you first started back then, land jumble jets on driveway. So I've always learned as a CEO, people like, it's not like the, the take the risk. It's all this. It's just land a jumble jet in the driveway. You've done it before. You could do it again. So that's kind of how we, we do the same thing. I just say yes to every major project. We just land the jet on the driveway and we figure it out from there. Yeah, I have a theory. My, my theory or belief is you can solve any problem, right? You, you may not like the answer, but you can solve any problem. And that's what I look to do. You know, if it's somebody comes to me and says, hey, we have to figure out how to produce this. You know, I just worked with Elray over the summer. We had to produce 120 hours of content and get it on the air, get the first few episodes on the air by July. And it's May. Okay, so that's that's not a lot of time. That's 45 days to put together a staff to to figure out what you're producing, hire talent, put together the staff and go through the entire process so that it airs in July. And the answer was, yeah, we'll do it. We'll figure it out. We had to. There is no other choice. And we did it. And at the end of the day, the great team that I worked with, the great executives and the uh, producers, we were all sitting there in May saying, I'm really nervous. Are we going to pull this off? And as we got to August, we all looked back and said, wow, look at what we did. You know, in May, we weren't sure. But today we're sitting here feeling really good about what we've accomplished. And that's a great feeling. Daniel, I'm going to say this and I'm going to stick my neck out, but I can tell you right now where I think you got your determination and the can't say no attitude and the fly by the pants type of attitude. I can tell you right now, you got that in local TV because as someone who worked in local TV for over a decade, everything was fly by the pants, don't say no, and get it done no matter what the cost. Right. Well, and... There's no money to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That, that, and by the way, that's exactly right. And again, I tell students, if you can start or, or get any experience at a local station, that's it, it's gold. It's just gold. You're never going to get that type of environment somewhere else. But I think like you and Joe kind of it's weird because you guys both started out with the same career. You guys are both in TV, local stations, but I think it comes back to with some people that risk reward. They don't want to take that risk if there's no money. Or both of you guys have worked your butts off your first few years because you love what you did. You were good at what you did. So I feel like it wasn't really work for you guys. And look where you guys are now, you know? No, I I can say for the last 20 and and Two things. I made a promise long ago that if if the decision was about money, I would have to say no. So I, I really tried not to make. We all have bills. We all have you know mm. things we got to pay for. But I can't make it about money. And it has to be the right step, right? I got to be learning something, mm. right? When when asked to run a cable network, I've never run a cable network. You have to say yes to that, right? What a great opportunity to learn something you don't have. And so I think those are some of the the checklists. And and for those 27 years, I don't think I've worked. I think I've been paid to do my hobby. Yeah, exactly. It's it's to me, it's a game. Yeah. Well, it's so I funny. mean, as an intern, I did it for free. So right. why yeah. is this any like I did the it. minute somebody paid me? The minute somebody said, "Hey, I'll now pay you forty dollars," I was like, "Win, <laughs> like, great." <laughs> but wait, but is this kind of like passion project? So like Joe, you're still doing. I mean, I don't know what going on right now but aren't you still announcing all the hockey games yes you think because they're still playing again regardless no 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 they're not playing they're not going to play until january that's kind of you know still up in the air but but was that a passion project because you love sports and broadcasting 
yeah, that was a passion project, but also too, it was one of those things that kind of fell in my lap when it happened. Uh, the person who normally did it got sick. They asked me to do it. Bingo. I was on the spot and I impressed them on the first game. So there you go. I've been doing it for 20 years now. That's incredible. There you go. That's the way, and that's the way it works. You do it. You put skin in the game. You're there. You say yes. And then you find out you can do it. And then you do it for 20 years. Right. And, and, and that's why you got to walk through those doors. Like when the door opens, just walk through it. Yeah. See what happens. And by the way, if it, and, and the opposite could have been, you didn't do great. And okay, you wouldn't have done it for the 20 years, but you wouldn't have known. Like, who cares? If you fail, who cares? Yeah, and we were talking to Ron G and he talked about his first time he ever did stand-up was in Atlanta. He got booed off the stage, (laughs) but he knew right then and there, this is what I need to do. And I'll tell you, speaking in front of, you know, 15,000 crazed hockey fans, I thought would phase me. It didn't phase me at all. In fact, I fed off of them. Yeah, there's an energy. There's a, Mm -hmm. I've noticed in my career, the, produce it being being on set right and the the speed in which we have to work it creates this adrenaline for me that that i love i love the excitement of it i'm not sitting behind a desk all day you know because that's just not me that's some people some people can do that and they enjoy doing that they enjoy going to work at nine and leaving at five that's great you know and having a life outside of work i didn't have that but i didn't want that i wanted to be on that set i wanted to make things and i wanted to see my vision get realized Right. So, and, and that's what drove me on a daily basis. Nice. All right. So, Daniel, for a short of time, I know, like, to wrap this up, you're working on a lot of various projects right now. I know we can't get into details on some of them because they're under um, NDA and stuff. But what are some of the stuff, like, on a higher level you're working on? I mean, where is the next phase after El Ray? Because I know you're still consulting with El Ray, but you've kind of are starting to transition out into your own thing right now. Yeah, with, with El Ray, it's been, you know, COVID's been tough for everyone. And certainly the entertainment industry was hit hard as production had to shut down. And we were no different. We had built a really wonderful production operation in Burbank, and we were producing all our shows in studio. And unfortunately, we had to make the decision to shut it all off, right? It's just outside of our control. But then we still needed that programming. So we had to figure out how to produce all those shows remotely. You know, so I'm, I'm standing, you know, in my office right now at home. And for the first time in 27 years, I actually produced 120 hours from my house. You know, I had never experienced anything like that, but we pulled it off. And so that was, that's what I've been working on with El Rey amongst other things to, to continue to help them out. They're a great company. As I said, when we started, I think people come to me because they need a specific program development content strategy. So there's a number of brands, right? Kind of those mass niche brands that have said, Hey, we see a market opportunity. Can you help us look at how to program? on social, on digital, and on OTT. I also tend to get involved now, especially with the experience from El Rey, on more of the operational side. Companies that come to me and say, hey, listen, we're having revenue challenges, right? Or our costs are outweighing our revenue, or we see that being a, a trend. Help us kind of rethink our business. And maybe that's creating new product lines or new business groups within it. Or it's just looking at their infrastructure and saying, how can we do it differently? Right. Maybe, maybe where you're used to doing 10 things in a certain way, maybe we only do seven, but we do them really well and we do them a little differently. And that gives us a, a different cost basis to then focus on new revenue streams. So it, it's a variety of things right now, but it's, it's actually, you know, I've, I've had a quote 
I'm doing uh, air quotes. Nobody can see this, but air quotes. I've had a job, right, for 25 years straight, right, going from freelance producing, writing, et cetera, to development, production, et cetera. This is the first time, this last year has been really the first time where I get to say no to things that I really don't want to do on a daily basis and get to say yes to things I do. And there's a lot of great people have used this time or people I know and people I'm, uh, I come across have used this time to really think about the future, right? What do they want to do? And what does media look like going forward? And so to very specifically answer your question, where this is going is there's phenomenal opportunities as a production entity, right? There's never been a, b- a better time to be a producer. You have all these SVODs, right? Subscription video services who are paying big dollars to create a lot of content and they need volume, right? Every one of them, they need a lot of content to keep that subscription revenue coming in. So as a producer, you can sell. And then there's a wonderful opportunity to create new distribution channels, right? New channels for distribution and not the old cable sub model, even though you still want to be on Comcast, you want to be on Dish, right? But it's under this OTT, you know, free to the consumer model, right? So the Roku's, again, the Tubi's. And you need people with, I would say, more my experience to be able to program to those platforms because it isn't about just cable linear. It's not just about digital. It's not just about social. It's about all of that. And how are you approaching each one for that platform? And then what is the right content you're creating to drive an audience? Because that ultimately is what's driving the revenue. So, so, so you're consulting on a bunch of upcoming stuff for everybody out there who, you know, who wants to get a hold of you or does need your help because, you know, our podcast is hitting our market, which is influencers, innovators, and tech people around the world. How can they reach Daniel Tibbetts right now? Well, probably the best way is through social media, through um, either Twitter or Instagram. You can direct message me. I'm at D Tibbetts. So D T I B B E T S. Is that funny? Because every time we've done all of these podcasts, we always ask, how can people reach you? Nobody gives out their email anymore. Social, find me on social. That's their calling card. Find them on social. Have you noticed? I've noticed that nobody's giving us their actual email. I mean, not that we want their cell numbers to be public on Apple and Spotify, but you're like the probably the 10th one in a row out of 30 who has said, find me on social. Yeah, I'll tell you why. I think part of it is certainly as a content creator and developer, I definitely don't want unsolicited submissions. I don't want people to send me big attachments, treatments. It just there's legal ramifications to that. Right. Mm -hmm. But with with social, people can reach out to me in, you know, again, I'll call it that short form media and very directly to say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to do. Or this is where I need your help. And then I can respond. Right. Either. Yes, you should send me that or no. Here's who you should contact. It's, it's, it's a little bit quicker. And I think simpler of a medium that creates less of you just don't less, want you, you don't want the spam and unwanted emails. You don't want the spam. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this is this is beyond it's social media. So from now on, somebody says, hey, can I get a hold of you? I'm just going to give them my social media. So you're. Yeah, it's it's safer, D, though. Yeah, it's, it's also safer. D, D Tibbets. Yes. D Tibbets, T-I-B-B-E-T-S on your social Joe Pirates, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can we reach you? <laughs> Instagram. It's ah. Pir- Pirates Joe. I didn't I didn't go with normal Joe Pirates. I went with Pirates Joe. There you go. And I'm Glamour Girl LA across the board. So I want to thank everybody for doing the podcast today. My mobile ambassador, 
of three plus years running. Thank yes. you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having yes. me. It's a pleasure. It's good seeing you both. Yeah. Good seeing and you too, Daniel. Joe, it was so good doing another podcast with Daniel. I feel like we're keeping things in the family on this one. Yes. So this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, Meet and Maven's podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.